my name is Jason, and my wife Lindsay and I are privileged, uh, so honored, so joy-filled to pastor Two Rivers Church together, and we're just glad that you're here uh, this morning. Um, we're going to just do kind of a one kind of a one-off today as we build into our ministry year. Today will be pretty unique. You're going to get to hear from a lot of our life group leaders and ministry leaders in the context of the message because uh, we're wanting to let you know about our vision and our, and our mission and our values today. We're just going to get centered in as a church community uh, to know kind of who we are uniquely as a church and where we're going and how we all get to be involved in that together. And so typically, if this is your first time, uh, we would teach through a book of the Bible, and that will begin next Sunday. We're going to begin a study in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes uh, this fall. That will be our focus of study in our gatherings. And so that'll start next week. But today... We're going to be spending time uh, talking about our vision, our mission, and our values. And so I, I closed the Devoted series last Sunday, and that series lent itself uh, toward, um, oh, I got to do announcements. You know what? I'm going to do announcements at the end. I'm going to do announcements at the end. Um, so toward kind of our vision, and our vision is, is this. If you get on our website and you look at the front page of the website, uh, you're going to see kind of a scrolling video, and over that video is going to have this statement, we proclaim and celebrate grace and freedom. Uh, it, it's, it's a vision that God has given to us, a, a movement of grace upon grace. That phrase, grace upon grace, we talked about this last week, John 1:16. from the fullness of Christ, we have all been on the receiving end. We have all received grace upon grace. And so uh, I, I want to build on that today and talk with you guys about our mission uh, and our values. And so our, our kind of our stated mission statement here at Two Rivers Church, connecting people to the freedom that we have in Christ, the hope that we have in Christ, and the healing that we have in Christ. And so as we think about this, we have a vision. This is where we're going. That's the vision, a movement of grace on grace. And then the mission is how we're going to get there as a church community, what we're doing as we're moving toward uh, this reality that we're on the receiving end of God's grace upon grace upon grace. And then the values of a community really help the community know what to say yes to and what to say no to as they're living out the vision and the mission uh, together. And so values, gospel-centered, grace-centered, Jesus-centered, family-oriented, family-oriented, we believe that life together is better, and we believe that the church can be more than just a place that you come to and sit and listen and go on about your life, but it's actually a place to belong with, a place to know and be known, to serve and be served, uh, to be a part of a mission, to partner together in a vision and a mission, and then mission-minded, simply we believe we are blessed to be a blessing, amen? We are blessed, we're on the receiving end of grace and now we are called to live that out and be a blessing to others in that. This is our logo. Uh, I just want to explain it. If you've never heard this explained before, uh, the logo is connected to our values and our, our vision. So obviously, you know, the logo, the two rivers there at the bottom, everything that we do is built upon that vision, a movement of grace upon grace, a new covenant grace. We're going to talk about that today. We're building everything in our church, our ministries, from babies to to adults, to empty nesters, to students, it doesn't matter, college students, everyone, everything that we do here is built on the vision of new covenant grace and freedom. And then the three mountain peaks are our core values. And so that is 
Um, that, this is us, and so that's kind of what I want to do today is I actually want to build a biblical case for this for you. I don't want to just tell you, hey, this is our vision, this is our mission, this is our, this, these are our values. I want to build a case for you around, around all this so that you understand it and see it in the scripture, not that just you see it and understand, but that you embrace it and that you partner with us in this way of life following Jesus uh, together. Um, we talk about partnership here at Two Rivers, uh, we don't do a membership class. We have a partnership class because we want you to understand that we are going someplace together. We have a vision and a mission, and you are invited to be a part of it with us. And so uh, we'll, I'll announce that at the end of, of the service. Um, I'm going I'm to look at two passages of Scripture today with you in the time that I have. And then you're going to meet ministry leaders and life group leaders, and they're all going to invite you to be a part of what they're doing that's in alignment with our vision and our mission. Uh, kind of the last half of the message will be that. So if you have your Bible, turn to Galatians 5 and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That is where we will be. If you have ever been to our Get Connected to Partnership, our partnership class, uh, this is what we cover. Uh, we're actually having that class tonight. Again, I'll announce that at the end, 4.30 in this room. Sarah West and I, are, she's our Connections Director. We will lead you through that partnership class um, this afternoon. Uh, but this is, if you've been to that before, this will be a bit of a repeat or a refresher for you. If you've never been to that class, uh, this is kind of what we cover because we want people to understand who we believe God has uniquely called us to be uh, at, at Two Rivers Church. And so with Galatians, uh, I will start with Galatians 5.1. Uh, Paul says this, he writes a letter to a church that he planted in one of his missionary journeys. He planted a church in the ancient city of Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And what happened was he planted this church centered in New Covenant, Grace, and Freedom. And then what happened is some religious folk moved up to town and they said, yes, yes, Jesus, you need Jesus, you need to believe in Jesus, but also you need to do these things that are connected to the old covenant of law and the law plus the grace of Jesus equals salvation. And Paul loses his mind about it. If you've read the book of Galatians, uh, you understand like he is so passionate to help people understand that Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. But Jesus plus anything that you have to do in addition to Jesus is not the gospel. And so he makes this statement in Galatians 5 verse 1, it is for freedom. It's for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Stand firm in your freedom because there are people out there that want to convince you that you have to check these boxes and do these things to merit your acceptance before God and you have to merit your growth in God. It's gonna be about you. You gotta add to what Jesus has done and Paul's like, you stand firm in your freedom. Don't submit again. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Freedom from what? Freedom from being separated from God, alienated from God. Freedom to being restored, reconciled. Freedom from what? Freedom from the old covenant of law that says, if you do good, you get good. And if you do bad, you get bad. Freedom from that because Jesus is our perfect obedience. Messiah has come, fulfilled the law perfectly, and liberated us from its demands because now in Christ, we are righteous by faith. 
So freedom in Christ. Stand firm in your freedom. A few verses down. You who are trying, you're working, you're striving to be justified by the law, to stand before the holy, perfect, righteous God of the universe and say, I've done it. I did it. I've obeyed your perfect, holy, standard, perfection law perfectly. If you are trying to be justified by the law, you have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Typically, when you hear that phrase, someone has fallen from grace, it is when a person like me has some big failure in life, and there's some article that you read, and this pastor or this person or this musician or this whatever has done this thing, and they have, quote, fallen from grace. But Paul uses the phrase differently. That's not how Paul uses the phrase. Paul uses the phrase, falling from grace is this way, if I choose to think and believe that I can merit myself to be justified by my doing before the holy, righteous God of the universe. You, are, you have fallen away from grace and you have been alienated from Christ. Pretty, pretty powerful statement that he makes. Um, how do you fall away from grace? You try to do it yourself. How do you fall into grace? You acknowledge your need of a savior and that Jesus is your perfect obedience. And it's not about you, it's about what he's done for you. So we fall into grace by saying, yes, Lord, I need you and I accept you and I receive what you have given to me and for me. Next verse, he goes on, for through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. You could put any of the 613 old covenant laws there. Paul's like, any of those laws, any of the checking of the boxes, if you embrace trying to merit yourself before God to be reconciled, redeemed, restored, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts. That's a pretty significant phrase, wouldn't you say? Like the only thing the only thing, as a new covenant believer in Jesus, following the way of Jesus, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What do you see here about Paul's theology around what it means to fall into grace? So in verse Four, he talked about falling away from grace. You are alienated from Christ if you're trying to merit yourself. And in five and six, he's really talking more about falling into grace. What words do you see in Paul's theology? He uses the word by faith, through the spirit, righteousness granted to you, not earned, granted, given, you have favor. What has no value? The old law, the old way, checking boxes, what has value? The only thing that counts, faith expressing itself through love. If you have been to a wedding before, or perhaps this was at your own wedding for those of you that are married in the room, uh, or if you've been to a wedding, perhaps you have heard someone like me open the Bible up to 1 Corinthians 13. It's like the famous love chapter. And at the very end of that chapter, Paul the apostle writes these words, 
in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. These things remain. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. The exact things that Paul says in Galatians 5, 5 through 6. We have hope because of Jesus, his perfect obedience. We have, we, 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 when, when we operate on the receiving end of that hope by faith, and then by faith we express that through love. Like we are, we are in the center, we are in the way of the new covenant of grace. Next passage I want to look at is 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 16 and 17 or 3, 6, 6 through 16. But as we do this, I want you to keep in mind Galatians 5, 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Again, what I'm hoping to do with you this morning is to build a biblical case for you for our vision and our mission and our values using Galatians 5 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So keep Galatians 5, 1 in mind as we read through these passages. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as we work through this together. I'm going to start reading in verse 6 when I get here with you. Paul writes to the letter to the church in Corinth, and here are the verses we're covering. So he begins... We'll begin in verse six. It says, he, being the Messiah, Jesus, has made us, the church, the people of God, the believers, the followers. Jesus has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not the letter. We're not ministers of the letter. We are ministers of the spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Paul is juxtaposing two things here. He is juxtaposing the letter, and he is juxtaposing the Spirit. What does he say about what the letter does? The letter does what? Kills, and the Spirit does what? Gives life. So we have the, uh, we ha- we're, he's making a, a juxtaposition. He's, he's comparing two things, the letter, and he uses the word kills, and the spirit brings life. That's, that's pretty serious, like direct language. Would you agree? So that's verse six that begs the question, well, what is the letter? If we're looking at the letter that kills and the spirit, that, what is the letter? What is he speaking about? Verses seven and eight. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Again, what is Paul juxtaposing? Letter Spirit. And then he uses this phrase, the ministry of death. And he's talking about letters written on stone. And he's talking about Moses and he's talking about the Israelites. What do you think he's talking about? Anyone? The Ten Commandments. Would you, like, 
I want you to see this in the scripture because I'm not trying to convince you of something that I've just come up with. I want you to see this building in the theology of Paul in this letter to which we would go, hold on, is that? Paul calls the 10 commandments the ministry of death. If you want to look into the passage where all this is taking place, I'm not gonna spend time with you here this morning on this, but it's, it's in Exodus uh, chapter, where I wrote it down here somewhere, 32 and 33, 33 and 34, 33 and 34. He is talking about letters engraved on stone. He's talking about Moses' face. He's talking about the Israelites. And Paul calls that letter, which kills 10 commandments, Summary of the Old Covenant of Law, the Mosaic Law, summarized by the Ten Commandments. He calls it the ministry of death, and that goes, whoa. Some of you didn't even know that was in the Bible. Some of you have never even heard that before. And if you're like, whoa, this is, you're really wrestling with this, it's fine. Just know that it's, I just want you to read it in the text. So we're going to keep going, verses 10 and 11, or 9 through 11, If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was, past tense, what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was, past tense, if what was fading away came with glory, How much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So in verse 7, Paul calls the Ten Commandments the ministry of death. And in verse 10, he calls it the ministry of what? The ministry that does what to men? Condemns them. So we got the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 calling the Ten Commandments the ministry of death and condemnation. At the same time, he's saying it has glory. Why does it have glory? Because it is the perfect, holy, righteous, just standard of who God is. Well, why does he call it, if it has glory, why does he call it the ministry of death and condemnation? Because you are not able to achieve and merit the perfect, holy, righteous, just standard of God because it is perfect and you are not perfect and I'm not perfect. There's one perfect man. His name is Jesus. And so the more we try to merit this on our own, Paul says again, Galatians 5, we're alienated from Christ and we have fallen away from grace. And now in 2 Corinthians 3, we're like, oh snap, I've never heard in my life. Somebody call the Ten Commandments, the ministry of death and condemnation. Look, I'm not calling it the ministry of death and condemnation. I'm just reading you the Bible. Paul's the one that's calling it that. And some of us just have to, we just have to lean in on this and be like, oh, snap. Everything is like, ah, I don't know what to do with this. Well, we're going to keep reading, and I'll tell you what we're going to do with it. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the more we try to merit our right standing before God on our own, the more death and condemnation we will walk in. It's not freedom to follow the old covenant of law. It's freedom to walk in the new covenant of grace that has been inaugurated by Jesus. In the new covenant, what has 
no glory now, what has no glory now? It's, it's passing away. It's the old covenant of law, the Mosaic law. What, what has all the glory now? And it will last the new covenant of grace and freedom. How, how, did this, how does this happen? Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly for you in your place and liberates you from its demands when you fall into grace by faith. It's why Jesus made this really significant theological statement in us understanding the difference between the old covenant of law and the new covenant of grace inaugurated by his blood, his cross, his resurrection. When he said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, anyone know? Fulfill them. I fulfill them. I achieve the law. I die in the place of people that need a rescue. I restore them, reconcile them to the Father. Now, by faith, they have my righteousness, right standing before the, before the love of God. It's incredible. It's incredible. 12 to 16, therefore, because of Jesus, because of the liberation, because of the freedom, therefore, since we have such a hope, hope in what? The new covenant of grace that is glorious, that which lasts forever, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance, while the glory of God from Mount Sinai while the radiance was fading away, but their minds, verse 14, their minds were made dull. For to this day, now Paul is speaking in the new covenant age. This is after the cross and the resurrection. We're in the new covenant age. And Paul is speaking to this about the church in Corinth in the new covenant age. And he says, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, the old covenant of law, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord Jesus, the veil is taken away. What is the veil? God's perfect, holy, righteous, just standard. It had, has glory, had glory, but it's glorious passing away because Jesus has fulfilled all of it for us. How's the veil taken away? How do we get freedom? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't submit again to another yoke of slavery. How do we get free? Coming to the Lord Jesus, trusting in his perfection and falling into his grace. Now, I want you to think about this with me. For those of you like me that may have grown up in a church culture of some kind, a Christian church culture when you were a child. So I want you to go back to your elementary school years, okay? I grew up in a small little, little farm town in Tennessee, little church, and I can remember being in elementary school and learning and memorizing the Ten Commandments. We memorized them. So if you grew up in church like me, and you learned or memorized the Ten Commandments when you were a kid in elementary school, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to see, and just keep them raised, keep them raised. Okay, most of us, 
which is not surprising. Keep them raised, keep them up, keep them up. Now, if when you learned the Ten Commandments as a child and you also learned about freedom in Christ and you learned about Galatians 5 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul calls following the Ten Commandments in the New Covenant of Age the ministry of death and condemnation, I want you to keep your hands up. One person. Two. Isn't that interesting? So think about this with me. So many of us learned about the Ten Commandments. So few of us learned about freedom in Christ. And I would say hardly any of you learned that Paul calls the Ten Commandments the ministry of death and condemnation in 2 Corinthians 3. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself. What happens when a child, what happened to you when you're living in the new covenant age I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it and then liberate you from it. What happens when a child living in the new covenant age learns and memorizes the Ten Commandments without being taught about freedom in Christ? The veil gets put back over their eyes. That's what Paul just, that's what he says. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from great gazing at it, but their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only Christ, in Christ is it taken away. Like, Children in New Covenant churches of Jesus go to Sunday school and get the veil of the Old Covenant of law put over their eyes. Are y'all with me right now? Paul has other words about this, and you don't need to turn back here. But in Galatians 3, listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3, 10 and 11. All who rely... All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything, everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Raise your hands in the room if you have followed the Ten Commandments perfectly your entire life. What happens to a child when they memorize the Ten Commandments at a Christian church, practically, and they're not discipled, taught about freedom in Christ? They're not taught Galatians 5. They're not taught 2 Corinthians 3. When they think about life and God and life with God and following God, are they thinking about grace and freedom? Or are they thinking about The rules. And Paul says, if you do that, you put people under a curse. Isn't that remarkable? I just want to say to all of you, we will not put anyone under a curse here. 
We will not put the veil over your eyes. We will proclaim and celebrate grace and freedom in Jesus, period. Period. We will trust in the work of Jesus by his grace to meet people right where they are by grace, save them right where they are by grace, and then transform them forward by grace as well. It's grace on the front end, it's grace on the back end, and it's grace everywhere in between. And if we go back to following the law and we forget about grace, we alienate ourselves from Christ we fall away from grace, we put the veil over our eyes, and we live under a curse, and we, fall, we call it freedom in Christ when no one's free. This house is about freedom in Christ, and we will trust in the grace of God to transform our lives. We will enjoy favor. We talked all about that last week. This is central, this is core uh, for, for us. I'll finish the chapter uh, verse uh, 17, 17 and 18 in 2 Corinthians 3. I can remember reading and studying 2 Corinthians 3 when God was liberating Lindsay and I from uh, legalism. And I can just remember, like, honestly, like, just like, kind of tripping over it, kind of tripping over it, honestly. And some of you might be tripping over that now. Let me encourage you about uh, as you're tripping and wrestling and thinking, because so many of us have grown up in more religious families and churches that haven't taught us the way of grace and freedom. But we know all about religion, but we don't, we don't understand a lot about grace and freedom. And so um, Paul goes on. He finishes the chapter this way. He says in verse 16, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What is central and core to Paul's theology about knowing Jesus and following Jesus? Freedom. Galatians 5.1, 2 Corinthians 3.17. And we, the church, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his likeness, with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. What comes from the Lord? Your transformation comes from the Lord. Your salvation is by grace. Your transformation is by grace. God transforms us when we understand that our identity is solely in Christ, his perfect obedience. We are righteous by faith, we are secure in our identity. We follow the Lord of glory, his grace and freedom, and we get transformed. Oh, it's so wonderful. We are free in Christ. We have been freed from the perfect demands of the law because of Jesus' perfect obedience, and we have been freed to be transformed. We are being transformed into his likeness, which comes from the Lord. This is us. This is us. This is the vision this is the mission. These are the values. This is what we believe. This is where we're going. Faith and grace expressing itself through love. We will not put the veil over your eyes. We will not invite you to live under a curse. We will invite you to live in the freedom that Jesus has given to, to us. We would agree at Two Rivers Church with Paul in Acts 20 
where he says this. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And you are invited on this journey with us. The vision, a movement of grace upon grace. The mission, connecting people to freedom, hope, and healing. The values, gospel-centered, family-oriented, mission-minded. You are invited on the journey, not as a member, not as a member. This This ain't a country club. This ain't a country club. This is a mission. We're on a mission. And our message is the mission, and the mission is the message, and the message is Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. Everything we do at Two Rivers Church, every ministry, every small group, every team is centered in this vision, this mission, these values. Um, There's a lot of different ministries. There's a lot of different small groups. But everything that we're doing, we're trying to build everything on a movement of New Covenant Grace and Freedom. And so as we begin this new ministry year, I want you to meet some of our ministry leaders and then some of our uh, small group leaders as we come into the fall semester. And so what we're going to do is you're gonna get, they're going to come up, and I've told them all they get like a minute to share. Uh, the hope here is that you see a ministry or a ministry team or a small group, and you're like, oh, I, I want to be more involved in that because I would tell you this. You can come here. I mean, we're, this isn't a big church, four or 500 people on a Sunday, pretty intimate space. Uh, we're kind of loud. We're, we're friendly. We like family, all this. But if you, if you come here and you're just here for like an hour-ish on Sunday, uh, this is going to feel like uh, going to church. But if you step into a small group, if you find a place of service in this house, this will stop being a place that you go and it will become a people that you belong with. It will become a family. And so our hope in doing this is to give you an opportunity to step into a more intentional way of belonging here uh, and partnering in this vision and this mission. So uh, we're gonna start with a kind of ministry overview, uh, River Kids, Student Ministry, uh, 2RC College, and Young Adults. And so if those leaders can come forward uh, right now, and then we'll do live groups, and then we'll do some Sunday ministry teams. So would you guys give these uh, leaders a, a hand as they come up?